Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. This is a transformative time for Black America. Our income is at an all-time high, and the opportunity for economic empowerment is unprecedented. It's not just about dreaming anymore. It's about turning those dreams into reality by creating blueprints for generational wealth. Prudential has a remarkable history of supporting communities and institutions that have been overlooked for far too long. For instance, they've pledged a staggering $1 billion to programs, partners, and initiatives focused on historically excluded communities. Build your financial blueprint today at prudential.com slash blueprints. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the home bunker. Folks, it has been now several days since special counsel Jack Smith has indicted a former twice impeached libel for sexual assault and defamation, disgraced former president of the United States, Donald Trump, on 37 felony counts. Now, one would think, right, call me crazy, but one would think that there would be a line, right, that at some point, Donald Trump would cross in order to have Republicans be like, hmm, maybe he's not the best candidate for our party. Maybe he's not the best representative of our values. Maybe, maybe we should look someplace else. Well, if you thought that, you would be 155% fucking wrong. Because what we saw over the weekend and, and at the beginning of this week, as you guys will listen to this today, Donald Trump will be arraigned by 3 p.m. Eastern in Miami. And, you know, what what is wild to me are the ways that I watch Jim Jordan, fucking Lindsey Graham. You had Andy Biggs tweet out talking about this is war and an eye for an eye. And then he had to backtrack on that fucking violent threat that he sent out via Twitter. You had Jim Jordan on CNN talking some crazy hot trash to Dana Bash, who was just like, so you think as they're showing the pictures of Trump's tacky ass bathroom and all of the documents that were in there, all of the boxes and stuff grown on the floor and on the stage and in all the pictures now that are infamous. Do you think that this is secure? Do you think that this is OK? And Jim Jordan's response is like, well, he was the president of the United States. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. 
And I just got to say, folks, like, if only Donald Trump wore a tan suit, maybe that would be crossing a line. You know, like, I just don't know how these people still bring up Hillary Clinton's fucking emails that were investigated for a year. And guess what they found? Not a fucking thing. And they seem to forget that Donald Trump was president for four fucking years. Right? He had his hand-picked attorney generals that could have, right, opened up investigations, did in fact open up investigations into his political opponents for no other reason than the fact that they were his political opponents. And do you know what they came up with? Not a fucking thing that would stand for a grand jury's indictment. So, you know, I'm not saying, look, don't defend your boy. That's your boy. That's the fucking, you know, Titanic you want to sail on by all means. But the way that they are attacking Jack Smith, attacking Merrick Garland, attacking Joe Biden, attacking our judicial system is just absolutely bananas. But of course, instead of, instead of, Cable news really digging into that fact and just how fucking unprecedented all of this is. They got cameras and fucking drone footage of Donald Trump on a highway, Donald Trump on a tarmac, just giving the man once again wall to wall coverage because we don't know how one gets from their home to the airport. We don't know what happens. When the plane takes off, we got to watch it take off and we got to watch it fucking land. It's absurd. It is absurd that this media has learned absolutely nothing. And people will say like, it's, you know, it's money. Donald Trump is ratings. And I'm just like, not really, because people are tuning out and turning it off, right? Like until there is something of substance to actually offer. But, you know, Lindsey Graham saying that, you know, yeah, you know, Donald Trump may have done some things, you know, that were wrong, but he's not a spy. Well, guess what, Lindsey Graham? Nobody said that he was a spy. What the indictment clearly reads, though, is that he violated the Espionage Act. What the indictment, 49-page indictment, clearly says is that he obstructed justice right, that he continually lied, that this wasn't just a packing incident. This was moving boxes around so that his lawyers wouldn't find out and wouldn't give them over to the National Archives or to the FBI. So again, Donald Trump wouldn't have been indicted if when asked multiple fucking times over to return said boxes, if he just said, okay, here they are. Come and get them. Much in the same way that classified material was found at former Vice President Mike Pence's house, that classified material was found at Joe Biden's house. Did any of those two say, oh, these are my documents and you can't have them? Were any of them caught on audio saying, oh, look, looky here, it's all secret stuff. You can't really see it. I could have declassified it, but I can't declassify it now. Like, I tell you, it's like Donald Trump 
is worse. Like, I, I don't even want to make light of the stupidity by comparing it to Scooby-Doo, by comparing it to like, you know, some sitcom or show. But it is, it's like, it's wild. It's wild as fuck where we are as a country. It is wild to me that you have sitting members of Congress that are calling for people to take up arms. It is wild to me that there is no line that Donald Trump can cross. There is no low that he can take them to where they won't continue to defend this man, even if they look like absolute fucking fools. It is, you know, it, it's insane. So, you know, this case is going to be heard before Judge Aileen Cannon. And if her name sounds familiar, it's because she was the one that initially tried to slow the documents case. She did not want the Department of Justice to be able to actually look through said documents. And then her decisions that she made in the initial, quote unquote, raid into Mar-a-Lago was overturned by a conservative three-panel 11th District Court Circuit overturned her decision. And not only, folks, not only did they overturn it, but the funny thing is, and not funny haha, is that they basically said that she's ridiculous, right? Like they basically said that she, quote, her decision was clearly violating the law. They said this, um, and this is according to a Slate article that was written, that much maligned decision, right, was later reversed by a three-judge panel of this U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit consisting of three conservative judges, two Trump appointees and a George W. Bush-appointed judge, um, Judge William Pryor. They wrote that her decision violated, quote, clear law, and that her approach, quote, would be a radical reordering of our case law, limiting the federal court's involvement in criminal investigations. They also went on to say, and, quote, violate bedrock separation of power limitations. Now, they go on to write in the Slate article, now that the same investigation has resulted in an indictment against Trump, Judge Cannon's prior fundamentally erroneous approach casts a shadow over the proceedings. And what they are arguing, what is being argued in this piece that is up now at Slate.com is that she must recuse herself, right? That there is no way that this woman who her own colleagues who were appointed by Trump and Bush. So these are not Obama or Clinton federal judges say, basically, bitch, what are you doing? Do you actually know the law? And remind you that this is a judge that was pushed through by Mitch McConnell and Trump after he lost the election. So, you know, knowing all of this, there is no way in hell that this judge, Aileen Cannon, is going to be impartial. There is no way that she is going to allow the rule of law, right, to dictate her decisions because she made it clear even the retrieval of the documents she was trying to slow roll 
and ordered a special master where one was not needed, right, to look at the contents of this. So it is clear that she is a Trump lackey and needs to recuse herself and that the DOJ should take the very necessary step, right, of getting her removed because there is absolute precedent of this. And I just want to read you this last part from Slate. Federal law has a way to deal with this challenge. Under 28 U.S.C. Section 455A, a judge shall disqualify himself or herself in any proceeding in which his or her impartiality might reasonably be questioned. Judge Cannon's situation clearly fits the test, and she is obligated to recuse herself in Trump's case. So we will see how this plays out and whether or not the DOJ takes the step to even, you know, to put her in the hot seat and let her show us that she isn't a lackey. So, folks, it is going to be a busy, busy week. We will keep our eyes on everything. Coming up next, my conversation, which is a deep conversation, folks, with Sarah Moore, who is affiliated with ADL and GLAD to talk about the rise in anti-LGBTQ plus extremism. Hey guys, it's Ray from the Bobby Bone Show here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Let's go! Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the hills to the trails all over. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating up to eight passengers. Yeah. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out amazing national sales event deals on RAV4s, Highlanders, and more. Visit buyatoyota.com. That's buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Prudential knows that no community is a monolith, and we all have unique financial needs. With black community partners across the nation, Prudential has a remarkable history of supporting communities and institutions that have been overlooked for far too long and are making a tangible impact. This includes their home city of Newark, where they're actively engaged in building stronger financial foundations. They are dedicated to offering equitable financial services that cater to diverse individual requirements while recognizing our shared goal of wealth building. For instance, they've pledged a staggering $1 billion to programs, partners, and initiatives focused on historically excluded communities. It's not just about dreaming anymore. It's about turning those dreams into reality by creating blueprints for generational wealth. Power the dreams of our communities today and future generations tomorrow. Learn more and build your financial blueprint today at prudential.com slash blueprints.
Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Folks, I am very happy to be joined uh, on Woke AF Daily by Sarah Moore, who is an anti-LGBTQ plus extremism analyst uh, for both the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, and uh, works with GLAAD, uh, AA GLAAD as well. Um, Sarah, I want to start off, one, because you must get a lot of questions about your job title. Um, and and exactly what it is that you are analyzing and and covering. But I, I want to jump right in because we are seeing both a rise in attacks against the LGBTQ community, both violent and through online kind of attacks. And we're also seeing a set of policy measure that are couched in extremism that are that are being essentially, the rhetoric is fueling the policies that are then trying to erase, right, and vilify and oppress the um, the community. And so I want you to, if you can, part and parcel for us the difference between anti-LGBTQ plus hate versus LGBTQ plus extremism. And if like, what is the nuance and the and the needle we're trying to thread there? Sure. So first, just want to say thank you so much for having me on, Danielle. Very excited to be talking with you today. Um, so as you mentioned, I work with, with both ADL and GLAAD. And so one of the ways that we define anti-LGBTQ plus extremism at ADL is we're talking specifically about this form of single issue extremism whose adherents are focused on demonizing, attacking, or otherwise targeting either the individuals, the communities, or the institutions that fall under this LGBTQ plus umbrella, or that they perceive to fall under that umbrella, right? So sometimes folks are passing as or are presenting as queer, even if that's maybe not how they identified and are targeted because of that. So we include kind of that nuance into the definition as well. And then we have this like much broader bucket of anti-LGBTQ plus hate. And so I think of this form of extremism as just a subset of that broader form of hate. But when we're looking at anti-LGBTQ plus hate, we aren't always seeing the same ideological commitment in the same way that we do with extremism. So a lot of times the folks that are dabbling in this form of hate are also following into, you know, other types of hate as well. Um, you know, maybe they are on the anti-critical race theory train, or maybe they are involved in like mask mandate protests or, or anti-vax protests. Um, and so, you know, they 
oftentimes have a lot of other issues that they care about and aren't really committed to this form of extremism in the same way. Or maybe, you know, they have some hateful beliefs, but it's not a core part of their daily activities or, you know, something that they're trying to act out in real life. So, you know, we there's a lot of different ways that anti-LGBTQ plus hate can manifest, um, but we are also specifically looking at the ways that this turns into extremism as well. You know, there was a time not too long ago uh, when we were all applauding the Obama White House turning rainbow, where we were all applauding the passage of same-sex marriage across this country, um, where we were applauding those states that were getting rid of really draconian um, sodomy laws that were still on the books. And now, Sarah, we are at a place where we are holding on for dear life to the rights that have been so hard fought uh, over the last several decades. And so how do you kind of wrap your mind around what feels like, for me at least, who has spent the last, you know, 10 to 15 years of my career working on the front lines of LGBTQ equality and justice and watching that 15, and just my little section, right? That time frame now kind of descend into chaos where we're holding on by our fingernails. Like, how do you make sense of the erosion in acceptance that Republicans and their kind of campaign of hate against the community has been able to do? Yeah, so I, I think it's kind of the million dollar question, you know, how did we get to this particular moment in time? Um, you know, the first thing I'll say is that anti-LGBTQ plus hate is not new, right? right. This is a, yeah. a decades old, no, a centuries old phenomena, and it's taken many manifestations and it's been more prominent in the societal discourse at different eras. So, you know, a lot of uh, today's conversation, for instance, around this rhetoric around grooming actually has direct parallels back to uh, campaigns in the 1980s, like a new mm-hmm. Save the Children campaign and all of the same tropes that we saw back then. So we know that there are different resurgences of anti-LGBTQ plus hate and extremism at different periods of time. And I think this particular moment in time, and um, we've seen the ways in which some of these extremist narratives, for instance, this one around grooming that I I just referenced with the Anita Bryant campaign, um, you know, that really picked up in popularity in conversation around Don't Say Gay back in 2021, because we actually started having mainstream politicians labeling their bills anti-grooming bills or, um, you know, following up on some trends and, and some of these tropes that only extremists had previously been talking about. So we've seen that, you know, this stuff has always existed on the fringes. Um, but now as folks are kind of turning their attention to this more from the mainstream side, it's getting picked up and replayed in popular discourse. We've also seen that happen too with, you know, other, um, positions that the far right has often taken. So I I referenced before, like the anti-COVID measures, um, some of the anti-CRT measures, those have kind of lost traction as they've now switched this focus into the anti-LGBTQ plus space. Um, And so some of it is opportunistic, right? Just making sure that they're keeping up, like that extremists are keeping up with the popular talking points of the day for recruitment purposes. Um, But it also, you know, belies this underlying hate that's always been there and has just kind of become the popular moment at this point in time. You know, I think that one of the things that troubles me the most is some stats, and you you tell me if I'm if I'm right or not, 
But some of the stats that I'm seeing are that there are about a million trans people in the country, a country of, you know, 330 million people. There are about a million trans people or gender nonconforming folks that exist in the country. And there is an entire campaign, an entire apparatus, an entire war being waged on a minority of a minority, right? And so how do we articulate to the public through mainstream media the fact is that this monster, this quote-unquote boogeyman that's being created by the right is targeting a minority of a minority of people that at least 70% of the country has actually never come face-to-face or know somebody that identifies as trans. Yeah, Danielle, it's... um. You know, you're hitting on a really important topic in that this this particular piece of this transphobia argument that's being, you know, such a, a big part of the anti-LGBTQ plus discourse, that's exactly what's being used right now as this wedge issue, right? So like, as you discussed, we have seen increased acceptance for LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. rights. And so a lot of times the veneer that some of these bigots or extremists will put on is saying like, well, I don't, you know, I, I do support gay marriage, but I just don't support you know, yep. these trans people, right? Or or the rights that they have to healthcare. Um, and so they're using it as this kind of wedge issue to try to break folks away and break apart the LGBTQ plus community. We've unfortunately already seen that with some groups that actually themselves identify as gay and are going after trans or intersex or asexual people and saying, you know, we don't want you as part of the community because they think that, you know, that will allow them to hold on to the rights that that we've worked so hard to achieve or you know maybe they don't see and, and you know which is baffling to me they don't see the humanity in you know our our fellow trans folks and, and intersex folks and asexual folks in our community um you know when we're all part of the same struggle and and, and as you point out like all of our rights are on the line here it's not just trans rights it's an, an issue facing all lgbtq plus people right now I think that that's why the trans community has always been a target. I can remember working on Capitol Hill um, back in the 113th Congress. So this is quite a while ago. Um, And at that time, Barney Frank was still on the Hill. He was the sole out LGBTQ person on the Hill representative out of Massachusetts. And, you know, and, and there was conversation about this, you know, this this bill that was coming forth about equity and inclusion and including lesbian, gay, and bisexual LGB people in ter- in protections, right? Uh, civil rights protections. And I remember being in offices where they said, we'll come back for the tea. Like it's too hard for people even within the LGBTQ plus community to quote unquote understand. So we'll come back for those folks. And so, you know, you say that to me and I, I, it's so triggering because I thought we had moved to a place where we had moved past that, right? Like, you know, when that bill was introduced, it was only LGBT, right? We weren't at the Q and the I and the A and the plus part of that acronym. And so to hear that there are queer groups, gay groups 
that would be willing to sacrifice this marginalized, targeted group in order to hold on to what they have? How do you even work with that? Like, how do we, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're trying to convince cis straight people, right, to be our partners and allies and be vocal. And yet we're still having this kind of discourse inside of the community. Right. It's it's baffling to me. And I think that that just underscores the importance of, you know, when we say equality, we have to mean equality for all. We cannot be leaving folks behind in this conversation. I mean, to me, it brings back parallels to like even the, the beginnings of, let's say, the suffragette movement, movement, right? And the ways in which white women at the time were willing to leave out our the women of color in yep. the communities and saying, you know, um, I'm going to try to take this for me right now and you can have it at some point in time, but it's not going to be right now. And so I think we we really need to remember these historical parallels and the ways in which we've left folks behind and make sure that we're not doing that in this current moment. Because it, again, it's all of our rights on the line right now. You know, these folks aren't just going to stop when they've banned trans health care. We're also they're also, you know, pushing for revoking, you know, same sex marriage. Um, they're also pushing for, you know, removing gen like LGBTQ plus curricula in schools. And so these are things that affect all LGBTQ plus persons and 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 frankly, all persons, right? Um, and so because of that, you know, and, and not to mention the fact that, you know, our, our trans brothers and sisters, like, they're humans too. Why would we not want to fight for their yep. rights? Um, <laughs> so that's just a little bit of my tangent there. Um, but I think that that kind of hits on what you're talking about. Hey, guys, it's Rich Davis from Cavino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance or any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew could stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you could sit back and enjoy the wide open views with the whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter what your style, you could drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places. Prudential knows that no community is a monolith, and we all have unique financial needs. With black community partners across the nation, Prudential has a remarkable history of supporting communities and institutions that have been overlooked for far too long and are making a tangible impact. This includes their home city of Newark, where they're actively engaged in building stronger financial foundations. They are dedicated to offering equitable financial services that cater to diverse individual requirements while recognizing our shared goal of wealth building. For instance, they've pledged a staggering $1 billion to programs, partners, and initiatives focused on historically excluded communities. It's not just about dreaming anymore. It's about turning those dreams into reality by creating blueprints for generational wealth. Power the dreams of our communities today and future generations tomorrow. Learn more and build your financial blueprint today at prudential.com slash blueprints. 
Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. You know, so when we look just like across the country over and and let's just take the the beginning of the Trump years to now, because this is when we've seen a real escalation in violence towards marginalized communities, whether that be anti-Asian hate, whether it is uh, unarmed black people being killed in the streets, on playgrounds, in stores, at churches, whether it be, you know, the queer community and also the Jewish community which is always also a target. Um, how do we, un- like, how do we connect? Or what, what, what do you, like, is there a connection to be made so that each group is not fighting on their own against the same perpetrator? Do you know, what I mean? like the people that are harassing and harming Asian people are the same people that are targeting trans children are the same people that say black lives don't matter are the same people that are voting against bodily autonomy and abortion rights. You know, So it's like, how do you work to make the connection, you know, in this space? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so my particular role is actually a result of folks having that same conversation. Um, I work for both ADL and GLAD. ADL is a Jewish organization and GLAD is an LGBTQ plus organization. And I'm part of a new program that we're launching that they're calling kind of the embed program, which means that they're taking researchers from organizations that serve different constituencies and putting them inside ADL Center on Extremism so that we can all sit together and work on the same issue. Because as you're pointing out, we're all fighting the same people. You know, the same groups that are going to be anti-Semitic, that are going to be racist, that are going to be against the Asian community are also, you know, coming for the LGBTQ plus community. And so that's really what we're working on as part of this partnership. And we're actually expanding and bringing in folks that are going to look at some of these other areas as well that have been kind of underrepresented in in some of the work that we've been doing so far um, and making sure that we're serving those communities. And and as you're saying, you know, making sure that we're all fighting the same fight. You know, one of the things that I think came out through let, going into the, the January 6th uh, committee hearings was the fact that the FBI had warned, right, had a report that warned that white domestic extremism was going to be the biggest threat to our democracy, that it wasn't outside, quote unquote, foreign terrorism, that it was white domestic terrorism. What do you make of that kind of report? And what would have or should have been 
the proper reaction to that other than, oh, that was nice. Thanks so much for letting us know. Yeah, it's a tricky question. Um, but I think, I think unfortunately, that report came at a time where the reaction was going to be, you know, yeah, thanks, we already know. Because that report was a culmination of the work of different organizations like ADL, like GLAD, like other advocacy and other groups focusing on extremism that have been saying, you know, screaming about this intel that we've been collecting for years. I mean, I think that report came out, it wasn't really a shock to anybody. Um, so, you know, we're, we're all kind of working on this particular issue. And I think that it's, you know, frankly, about time that the government recognizes that this is an issue that they need to be working with, too. And so that's why, you know, we do work with law enforcement through mm -hmm. ADL's law enforcement connections. Um, and I do understand that there are, you know, lots of tensions that go into that when you're working with um, groups that represent people of color, groups that represent the LGBTQ plus community. But I do think that those are important bridges to be able to have. So that way, you know, these folks aren't in the dark about what we all know to be the reality of living as a queer person or a person of color in this country. Sarah, last question for you. What are what are the things, you know, that people listening who feel really scared, who feel this sense of hopelessness um, at all of these attacks that they're reading in the headlines, that they're seeing come across on news channels, what can they do in order to be helpful to the work that ADL is doing, the work that GLAD is doing? How, how can this both look like national aid in some type of way, but be localized as well? Yeah. So we have a ton of different ways that, that folks can get involved and can help out. Um, I think the biggest one is just reporting incidents when they do come up in your communities. Um, so we will actually be launching a report in a couple of weeks that's tracking incidents of anti-LGBTQ plus hate and extremism in the U.S. for the last 11 months. And a lot of the ways that we collect these incidents are through reports on ADL's reporting mechanism online, um, which connects folks with our regional offices and so they can get assistance that they need immediately but also allows us to track the ways that this hate is spreading in our communities, especially, um, you know, with the issues that we recognize in reporting to law enforcement. Um, so this can sometimes be an alternative for folks who maybe don't need that emergent help, but, um, you know, want to make sure that somebody out there is aware of what they're experiencing. We also at ADL and GLAD have a lot of different resources on ways that you can combat hate online. Um, so GLAD just recently dropped their LGBTQ digital safety guide. So folks who are looking to better protect themselves or LGBTQ plus community orgs in their, in their cities um, can look at that guide and take away some really practical steps on things that they can do to kind of preempt some of this type of hate and extremism that they might face. Um, and then on like, in kind of the retroactively side, ADL has a cyber safety action guide that folks can use to report hate to platforms. It's not to say that the platforms are always going to listen, but a lot of times the first step is saying that, you know, we have to be able to show that we are reporting this hate and that it is an issue. And then we can put extra pressure on them to make those changes online. Um, and then kind of at the national level, you know, and, and at the state level, too, we really do need folks to stand out to stand up against the anti-LGBTQ plus legislation that we're seeing and to call on their lawmakers to stand strong in the face of the community, in the face of the hate that's you know being leveraged against the community right now. 
Um, and we are supporting some bills that are are really helpful as well. So um, one that we're looking at right now is, is FEMA's nonprofit security grant program, um, which offers aid to um, local secure local nonprofits that are trying to get better physical security systems for themselves. And okay. Places on this hate. So we're supporting bills like that to be able to you know offer these orgs some extra protection, knowing the environment that they're currently operating in. So that was a lot, but um, hopefully that gives kind of a, a range of things that individuals can take on and, and stuff that we can do at the state and national level as well. No, I really appreciate it because I know that people and we'll, we'll make sure also to like put those details and the links to the respective organizations in uh, in our show notes so that people can easily access uh, the reports and access the guides um, and figure out other ways that they can support the work. Um, that is happening at ADL and GLAD. Sarah, thank you so much for making the time to join Woke AF, and thank you very much for the work that you are doing. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to be on the show, and just want to end, too, with saying, you know, thank you for highlighting queer joy this month. Um, I know that with my stuff that I work on, you know, it's it's oftentimes the opposite of that, <laughs> um, yes. but it's you know, so important to have the joyous aspect of it, too, and just showcase how amazingly resilient and beautiful and diverse our community is. So um, I think that, that that's really amazing. And it was a pleasure to be on. Absolutely. Thank you. That is it for me today, dear friends on Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.